0: You know, it is probably for the best that I could only find the instrumental version of this copyright expired song, which is You Remind Me of My Mother by George M. Cohen. Because The lyrics to this one, I'll just read the lyrics to you. Um, the Lyrics are, you ask me why I fell in love with you. I'm going to tell you the truth, dear. I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason why I fell in love with you is because, my darling, I find that you always bring to mind a certain someone I have loved since before I cut a tooth. You remind me of my mother, my mother was a lot like you. So many little things you do, I find they bring to mind my mother. Is that a good song? Is that a song you want to perform like out in public? That's a Broadway song. People are going to see you doing that. Is that a thought and a sentiment you think people are going to pay money to hear? And maybe right now you're thinking, oh, well, which character sings it? Is it like a Norman Bates type character? Nope! Protagonist! Protagonist sings it! I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any better in the second verse, either. It says, I've got a tin type of my mother. I guess people knew what a tin type was in 1922. I've got a tin type of my mother, when mother was a girl like you. You look a lot <laughs> like you two. So it's not just behavioral, it's a physical resemblance. You look a lot alike you two, her hair was just fair, her eyes used to twinkle, it doesn't get any better from there. Ugh. you know, a lot of times when you write something, you ask yourself, what do I want the audience to feel when they hear this? I hope what the author wanted me to feel was skeeved out! Because I really do! Shame on you, George M. Cohen, you should be cancelled if you were not, uh, dead for 80 years. Hello! Welcome to the I Might Be Wrong Podcast. I'm Jeff Maurer. This is the thing where I read one of the articles that I have on my Substack, which can be found at imightberwrong.substack.com. It is presently completely free. If you would like to pay me, well then, look at you, Mr. Moneybags! Aren't you a big shot? But seriously, thank you if you choose to pay me for this. At any rate, you can find many articles other than the one that I'm reading today. And the one I'm reading today is called Let's honor MLK's birthday by being impotent and embarrassing. This is about the quite public loss on voting rights the Democrats took last week. I wanted to write it because I think one of the most difficult things to do in politics or life generally is to update your views as information changes. And I think this is a case of Democrats' kind of failing to recognize that the situation on voting rights seems to be different than we thought it was a few years ago. And also it's another case of this this weird mindset that it has taken hold among some lefty activists where they they're just super weird on race. I think that's the best way to put it. They're just super super weird on race. They no longer talk about it like, you know, adult human beings they're super weird about it. And sometimes they prod the president to do dumb things and Biden to his discredit bit in this instance. So anyway, the title is let's honor MLK's birthday by being impotent and embarrassing subheading. So reads the memo, I assume went out to progressive activists. So let's start here. What do people find annoying about Democrats? Now there's not enough time to run through all the stuff people find annoying. And I don't mean not enough time right now. I mean not enough time in the universe. But let me list what I think are the top three things people don't like about us. Number one, we are overly influenced by an activist class that practices a weird fundamentalist religion that's obsessed with race. Thing number two, we are out of touch. Thing number three, we pee our pants over absolutely everything. Those are my top three. And last week, activists managed to reinforce all three perceptions at the same time in a tidy little episode about voting rights that produced a hot pile of nothing. So happy birthday, Martin Luther King. We got you jack shit. And to be clear, personally, I wanted voting rights legislation to pass. I also don't think, by the way, that better strategy would have changed the outcome at all. We will solve dark energy before we figure out how to Influence Kirsten Cinema, And for what it's worth, I have also wanted to get rid of the filibuster for a long time, since back when Mitch McConnell was a much younger old man. I've been against the filibuster for as long as I can remember. I'm against it in a box. I'm against it with a fox. I am against the filibuster all of the time. So I really want the same things that the activists that I'm going to criticize in this episode want. My complaint here is with their rhetoric and with their strategy. And I've written about this before. Last year, I wrote a three part series. You can find it on my Substack. I might be wrong. Substack.com. Scroll back to November. These are all free articles. You won't hit a paywall. I wrote a three part series about how what matters most in politics these days is a party's brand, and that the Democratic brand, unfortunately in my mind, is increasingly associated with a type of lefty activists that most Americans, to be charitable about it, hate. <laughs> that's what they think of when they think of us, this association, it it drags Democrats down and that in turn harms progressive goals. Personally, I think that recent events surrounding voting rights have put that dynamic front and center once again. So it provides another opportunity for me to ask Democrats, what the fuck are we doing here? And let's briefly run through the facts of what is going on here. So in the past year, Republicans in 19 states have passed laws that make it harder to vote. These laws have sometimes targeted Democratic constituencies specifically, especially Black people, also young people, urban people, anybody who is likely to vote Democrat, but definitely especially Black people. And of course, you probably already know this. If you have watched MSNBC (laughs) at any point In the past few months, you would also know it if you know somebody who watches MSNBC, or if you have driven past an electronics store where the TVs were playing MSNBC. I'm honestly pretty sure that if you just stand near a TV that had recently been playing MSNBC, you are going to absorb this information through osmosis. At any rate, in response to these laws, congressional Democrats have drafted bills creating minimum standards for voting laws across the country. These bills would enshrine a number of things to make voting easier. They require things like early voting, mail-in voting, same-day registration, many other things, but that type of stuff. Reducing gerrymandering is another goal. Two Fridays ago, the House passed a bill that did a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff, including reconstituting the preclearance requirement in the Voting Rights Act and it would also make voting day a national holiday, which I think is an excellent idea. Anyway, Bill's going to die. It's dead on arrival in the Senate because of the filibuster. Democrats can get 50 votes for it. They cannot get 60. I do think that's a shame. I think, here's a radical view, that voting should be easy. Also, I like days off, by the way. I feel like on a fundamental level, every human being's greatest ambition is to lay around with their thumb up their ass and this bill, because it gives us another national holiday, would have been another small step towards achieving that beautiful dream. And I not only think that it's generally just good when it's easy to vote, I also think that, hey, we're going to make it easier to vote, is a winning political message. Look, voting's a hassle. You have to either get up on a Tuesday in November, non-starter as far as I'm concerned, or you have to ask your boss, For time off, your boss might respond by saying, Yes, you may go vote and not be paid for the time that you're gone. Voting weirdly tends to take place in an elementary school cafeteria, i.e., the very place where you became skeptical of the concept of society to begin with. Also, any sense of grandeur or awe that you might get from being part of the democratic process that kind of is undercut by the smell of tater tots and overcooked vegetables. I really do feel that people would be happy to be told, hey, you can skip all that shit. You can vote early. You can vote by mail. Drop it in a Dropbox." The Democratic Party wants to reduce the duration and intensity of the pain in your ass. I think that's a good message. Unfortunately, that message was, at best, a secondary message in this fight, at best. The message we chose to go with was basically, and I am paraphrasing here, this is exactly the same as Jim Crow and nothing less than the future of democracy is at stake. And to call that argument overwrought would be an unbelievable understatement. Calling our rhetoric on this issue overwrought would be like calling Baywatch a little horny. Yeah, you fucking think so? And the first problem with our argument is that it is needlessly exclusionary. Instead of talking about voting access as something that affects everyone, which it does, instead we portrayed it as something that mostly affects black people. That's not really accurate. There are some provisions, especially in Georgia, that do appear to be targeted at black voters, but most of the laws that states passed sought to decrease turnout by making it harder to vote. These laws Affect everyone, not just black people. For God's sake, Alaska, Alaska was one of the states trying to make it harder to vote. Do people really think that lawmakers were trying to target the black vote in Alaska? If their goal (laughs) was to keep black Alaskans away from the polls, they could have just passed the Kevin is not allowed to vote act. And that would have been the end of it. By the way, my mouth rebelled against (laughs) even speaking the phrase, black Alaskans. My brain just went, that's not a thing. What are you talking about? took me like six takes to get that. So that's my first problem with our argument. Why are we making it narrow when the reality is broad? My second problem with our argument is that we overstated the danger by a factor of, oh, a couple billion, perhaps a trillion, perhaps scientific notation is needed to describe the amount that we overstated the danger here. Instead of making a case for common sense measures to increase voting access. We acted like this was the most crucial moment for the Republic since Pickett's charge. This, when you view it from the nerdiest perspective possible, is, I think, a debate team mistake. If your central argument is sound, don't overreach and give your opponent something to quibble with. If you are trying to convince people that Hitler was bad, Don't say that Hitler broke up the Beatles. That just throws your opponent a lifeline. You're going to spend the entire debate talking about the Beatles. Plus, of course, you look like an idiot to anyone who knows that the Beatles were broken up by Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, my honest feeling, and here comes some of the sweet, sweet heresy that makes a podcast run. My honest feeling is that the stakes with this voting rights stuff, it's honestly not very high. I don't think. Personally, I think Republican voter suppression tactics, they're shitty, but I honestly don't think they're very effective. As I've mentioned before, and I'm talking about an article from late December called How Close Are We to Losing Our Democracy? As I talked about in that article, the evidence that low turnout helps Republicans, it's pretty thin. It was conventional wisdom for a long time. The evidence behind that belief is looking awfully shaky these days. I also think that voter ID laws are a lot less effective than they used to be. I think people have figured this out. People are grumbling at it. And they're going, oh, fuck you, but I'm just going to get the ID. That's what I think is happening a lot. The reason I believe that is that black voter turnout is not low. In the last several elections, it's been very high. Turnout, among other groups you would expect, be affected by voter id laws specifically young people college kids don't drive young people urban people their turnout is not down it is up that's one reason i believe that a better broader view of what's going on has been provided by german lopez and vox and philip bump in the washington post i link to those articles in my article and they typically find that voter id laws do it's either nothing or close to nothing it's something in that range and look i have no doubt that Republicans would love to tilt the playing field in their favor. They are obviously trying to cheat. But people can try anything. You can try to teach your dog, Rachmaninoff. You can try to build a time machine out of graham crackers and mud. That doesn't mean you're going to fucking do it. Democrats can support ballot access without reacting to every dumb Republican trick like it is zero hour for democracy. And the counter to the argument I just made, is that some people would ask, okay, well then, if suppression tactics aren't effective, then why are Republicans trying them? My answer is simple. State legislators are fucking morons. Very, not all of them, but very often, any country fried fuckwit with a pulse and a name can become a state senator. In my eyes, the job ranks beneath, oh, I'd say Little League coach or discount stripper in terms of prestige. A lot of Republican state legislators believe Trump's stop the steel horse shit, which I think is the dumbest narrative since Greg Brady became a world-class surfer after picking up the sport on vacation. Glad I finally got to air that grievance. At any rate, Democrats could have made Republicans look like a bunch of panicky idiots here. All we had to do was laugh at their base-driven nonsense. Oh, stop the steel, got a crackdown on ballot boxes. Ha ha ha. Just laugh at that and then pursue voting access in a measured way guess what? That's not what we did. Instead, we decided to match their base-driven hyperventilating with a little bit of base-driven hyperventilating of our own. A major mistake we made was to conflate voter suppression, which is shitty but ineffective, with election subversion, which, if it happened, would spark a constitutional crisis. By matching the GOP's delusion (laughs) We have instigated a burn-after-reading-style cat-and-mouse game in which all the players appear to be idiots and the stakes are non-existent. We have convinced ourselves somehow that if Fulton County, Georgia has anything fewer than 38 drop boxes, 38, then democracy is essentially over. We talk as if being unable to hand out water to people in voting lines makes America indistinguishable from Stalin's Russia. Very recently, election systems and talk about them were the exclusive domain of political science nerds. Bending someone's ear about no excuse absentee voting, that would have been about as welcome as explaining advanced quidditch strategy. Articles about changes in voter registration rules, those articles not long ago would run on page A12 of the local paper next to stories like library hours extended and local potato looks like Jay Leno. Unfortunately, now we are making ridiculous claims about these laws being Jim Crow on steroids. Way to have a sticky and stupid line in your speech, Joe Biden. Jim Crow on steroids, despite the fact that election systems across the country, they're a jumble of good and bad. And even blue states like New York often have systems that people like me, who think that voting should be easy, would consider bad. And by the way, in the article, I do have a picture of a potato that looks like Jay Leno. It is worth going to the Substack for that picture alone, because, yeah, it kind of looks like him. And that brings me to my third complaint about what we're doing here. We, Democrats, look like, as we often do, a bunch of sanctimonious losers who are cosplaying the civil rights movement. I have written about this before in an article called We Need Fewer Heroes. The civil rights era is so venerated in leftist discourse, and it obviously should be venerated, but it is so venerated in lefty discourse that some people, especially remarkably bored people, gin up civil rights narratives and place themselves at the center of those narratives just for shits and giggles. They basically play civil rights hero the way a kindergartner would play astronaut. And they imagine themselves to be respected and brave. But you know what? So does that kindergartner, even though the world can see that their space suit is actually tinfoil and their rocket is a refrigerator box. That's basically how we look to people. That's what some people on the left do. We figuratively run around with a goldfish bowl space helmet on our head, zapping imaginary aliens with a banana. And then election season rolls around and we think, gee, why doesn't anybody take us seriously? And a part of what's going on here is activist groups need to set their hair on fire over everything. Activist groups are partly to blame for this rhetoric. Look, activist fundraising requires that every single event, no matter what it is, it has to be treated as substantially more critical than the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. Each week, every single group on K Street just needs ten more dollars or an accursed beast from days of yore shall be born anew and swallow your children whole and your children's remains shall be shed upon the filth-strewn rocks of the beast's wretched lair. Can we count on your support, please? It's a great argument for never giving any money to anything. I hate those emails. Anyway... Recently, here's a funny one. Donald Trump has taken to adopting the tone of an emotionally manipulative mother in his fundraising emails. Because he's not mad, he's just disappointed. Here's a fundraising email from Trump. Uh, There's a checkbox that says, Incredible! We only need one more patriot to keep this box checked from your zip code. However, if we fail to hit our goal, our chances of victory will plummet and President Trump will be so disappointed in us. Can you be the last patriot we need? <laughs> I love. I really love President Trump will be so disappointed in us. Oh, it makes me think of sad Trump all alone in a big empty room in Mar-a-Lago. I picture him wearing a birthday party hat like nobody showed up for his party. and He's just, he's sitting there hitting refresh on his computer. Oh, won't one more patriot check the box? His lip is kind of quivering. Oh, don't let sad Trump down, everybody. The point is, fundraising emails are hyperbolic by nature. It is what you do if you are in that business. So that's where a lot of the rhetoric comes from. And in this case, activists did demand that Biden make a big public push on voting rights. They did this despite the fact that Democrats flat out do not have the votes to overcome the filibuster. It is a shame, but it is the truth. And an often downplayed reality, by the way is that Mansion and Cinema are not the only Democratic senators who aren't totally ready for sure to scrap the filibuster. There are at least 3 other Democrats who are kind of on the fence. And look, I don't blame activists for pushing for action. That's what they're supposed to do. And I also don't object to spending political capital on voting rights. I agree with both those things, but look, once the handwriting was on the wall, activists should have just let the bill die a normal death. Instead, they continued with calls for undefined action. Oh, I hate this. Stand up. What does that mean? Calls for undefined action, which led to a high profile speech by the president and a sure to fail vote. And it did fail last week. They basically forced Senate Democrats to take a highly public loss in what has already been sort of a Detroit Lions-esque season for Democrats. And they coerced the president into starring in a primetime special that really should have been called Impotent Joe's Extremely Public Surefire Failure Extravaganza. This is not a best practice. This is not good politics. Now, the good news here is that legislation to make elections work better is not totally dead. A bill to overhaul the Electoral Count Act and maybe do a few other things is being written. And good news, it might actually pass. Now, in my opinion, reforming the Electoral Count Act should be a higher priority than most of the stuff in the House bill, because doing so would reduce the chances of a stolen election. If the ECA gets reformed, I will move the device I created in the How Closer We Do a Stolen Election article. I created the election theft Austin Powers steamroller. It's a lot like the doomsday clock, but uh, infringing on somebody's copyright. If the ECA gets reformed, I will move that steamroller back a few feet because reforming that act would reduce the chances of congressional shenanigans around the counting of electoral votes that, oh God, if that happened, I don't, just the cable news coverage alone, if that happened would be enough to make me move to Australia. That is really something we do not want to see go down. So that's one piece of good news. We might still get improvements in our electoral system. The other piece of good news is that, you know what, by November, all this shit is going to be forgotten. All my complaining about the Democratic brand, you know, think of it, who would have guessed at this moment in time, we would be talking about inflation, Ukraine, and Novak Djokovic. 11 months from now, who knows? The hot topics might be wombats, Namibian skateboarders, and lima beans. We don't know what people are going to talk about in November. This Voting rights failure, at the end of the day, it's not going to move the needle much. Nonetheless, Democrats did just make ourselves look like asses for no discernible gain. And I do think we should ask ourselves why that keeps happening. And by the way, you know what would really help voting rights legislation? A few more fucking Democrats in the Senate. And you know what would help that happen? Democrats spending less time looking like hyperventilating idiots who are enthralled to our activist base. Quixotic campaigns full of exaggerated rhetoric do not further progressive causes. They fuel Fox News segments and they make it harder for Democrats to win. It really would have been nice if we could have delivered a bill on Martin Luther King Day, making it easier to vote. That would have been lovely, but that was not in the cards. So failing that, we should have cut our losses and left ourselves in a better position to pass that bill at some point in the future. And that's the episode. I do wonder what Martin Luther King would have thought of this whole exchange. I certainly don't claim to know how he would behave in this time and place. But Martin Luther King was a winner. (laughs) Among many other things, Martin Luther King was a winner. Martin Luther King got shit done. He knew what he was doing. And in terms of creating rhetoric that connects with people, I think he's head and shoulders above probably anyone else in American history. And finding language that resonates I think Lincoln would be his only competition in that regard maybe FDR nah FDR's there probably MLK Lincoln FDR the point is FDR's a loser anyway (laughs) Uh. thank you for listening one last time all this crap can be found at iMightBeWrong.substack.com. thank you very much for subscribing sharing the articles that's how I put bread or more accurately Swanson frozen dinners on my table I will be back next week with another episode. Until then, please enjoy this gloriously lyric-free rendition of You Remind Me of My Mother by George M. Cohen. And thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.